we're in week three, so if you were here uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, we started, and, and last week, we, we ended with Acts 1a, you'll receive power and witness to the ends of the earth. And we asked the question, when we left you with the question, where, where is it that God is leading you? And I hope that you've been praying this week, and maybe some of you, as you've been praying, Lord, where this year do you want me? Maybe the Lord's beginning to show you what that looks like. For others, last week and last weeks may have been confusing. I've gotten more feedback from last week than anything we've done in a long time. And some of it has been like, wow, God is working, and I've never asked these questions. This is new. This is great. Others has been like, man, I, I don't know. And so let me just encourage you as we move on and we continue to read from, from verse 9, it's okay to be in either spot. If last week was exhilarating, last two weeks, pressing into who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to provide, if that's exhilarating, great. If, if, if you're not sure, just keep coming. Thank you for coming back. Let's not throw everything out because we've been burned from our previous experience or our understanding or maybe a church that tried to go in this direction and things got odd. Let's not let any of that hold us back from what Jesus may want to say this year, okay? So with that in mind, let's go back to verse 6, which kind of leads us through where we're going to continue tonight. Verse 6 says, Then they gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now we'll just continue on. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, a.k.a. angels, stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Tonight, we're going to read through the rest of chapter 1 and set it up next week. We didn't, we didn't time it this way, but, you know, Super Bowl is like a big hype thing and a big excitement thing. Next week, we're going to talk about the coming of the Spirit of God on the people of God and what that means. So, if you enjoy the game, great, but next week, do not miss. And if you're gone out of town, podcast, I think there's something for us. But tonight leading up, there's three things that happen in preparation for the Spirit's coming. And we want to look at them tonight and then apply them to us as a community. And maybe this week, you can apply it to your own situation. Three things. The first thing that we see starts in verse 9. They saw Jesus ascend. Jesus goes up. They saw Jesus ascend. Uh, Verse 9 describes the ascension, to get technical. Now, what's, what's the ascension? It is a killer Phil Wickham album. Do any of you have the ascension? I'm serious, right? That, that album is great. For those of you Phil Wickham fans, he's in the studio right now. I follow him on Instagram. And if you want to know what we're going to be singing a year from now, <laughs> tune in to, the, to his new album. But more than like an album, what is the ascension, the going up of Jesus? Well, it's... It's 40 days since his resurrection, and Jesus has been going in and out. He appears, he leaves, he comes back, and the disciples don't know. He's risen. They don't have in their construct, in their brain, what next? Other than Jesus said, 
I'm going to give you the Spirit. Uh, so three things about the ascension that might be helpful to remember. One, the ascension is about seeing Jesus in his rightful place. What does it mean for Jesus to be risen up? Notice the phraseology here. The phrase says he was taken up in a cloud, verse 9, that hid him from their sight. What is this cloud? We talked about this when we did our Christmas series. The cloud all throughout Scripture is a sign of the presence of God. So when Moses is on the mountain to receive God's instruction, God comes descending like a cloud. So much so that when Jesus is on the mountain right before his death, He's transfigured. He becomes something that is surreal. And Moses and Elijah come like a cloud. And so the, think cloud, think presence of God. So let's think. Jesus is in his rightful place. If you're an Olympic athlete and you work hard and you beat everyone in the world in front of a viewing audience and around the world via TV and media, and you win the gold, what happens? You're taken up on the podium to the highest place. You ascend, and you are given this medal of honor, and people applaud you because you have earned the right. You've earned it. You didn't just show up. You earned the right to be heralded as the greatest in whatever your sport. Well, in a way more cosmically large and beautiful, Jesus ascended. He is God's own son. And so after his work of dying on the cross for our sin, rising again, to provide life to all those who follow him. What's next? The world needs to know who Jesus is. And so he shows his disciples first. They get a glimpse of what the whole world will see someday. Jesus is not just a guru. He's not just a philosopher. He's not just one of many teachers. He, who goes into the cloud? The presence of God is the cloud. Heaven is God's space. Who can hang there? You, me, no. Only one who is from God. And so Jesus is now seen as rightfully leading. So right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and Jesus is ruling and reigning. The whole universe is being controlled and guided by Jesus who has all authority. And one day, everyone will see it because secondly, the ascension is about a reminder that Jesus will return. Jesus is going to come back. And so the, the, the angels clue them in. You're seeing Jesus rightfully on his throne. Oh, he's going to come back in the same way. And so guys, they need to near this. Remember, we're looking back. They think Jesus is going to keep showing up. And now Jesus told them, I'm going away. And now the, the angel's saying, he's not going to be here tomorrow. Don't look for Jesus. But Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you. And then you'll be about my witness. My work's about to begin, but you need to wait. So the ascension for the disciples lets them know, okay, the period of Jesus walking on the earth with you and me, that period is done, but he will come back. So Jesus doesn't just disappear. If you want to go to the Father, he didn't have to let anyone know. It was for our benefit. Why? Those apostles, those leaders are going to die. Jesus knows. They're going to be taken for leaders and rulers, and they're going to be martyred. They're going to be killed for their faith, for their message. So they need to know with confidence this Jesus wasn't a ghost. He went to be with the Father, and he sent them out. And they're reminded that they can hold on because Jesus will return. Jesus will make all things right. Third thing is the ascension prepares the way for the Spirit to come. 
Jesus had been saying with, while he was with them back in John 15, it's better if I go. It's better if I go. Why? If I go, I'll send the Spirit. And the Spirit of truth will be with you. He'll be in you. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. He'll be the comforter. I'm not going to leave you alone. Jesus says it's better. Now, what's better than Jesus? Trick question. I, I can't think of anything better than having Jesus. And Jesus says, no, it is better that I go. I have something for every one of you. And so it's the promise, John 7. John tells it this way. Jesus said in a loud voice, let everyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then he interprets, by this he meant the spirit, whom those who had believed in him would later receive. Up until that time, the Holy Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So, the Father sends the Son, and then the Son does his work. The Son goes back to the Father, and the Son says, I'm going to send the Spirit. God is always with us. God never left. But he comes in the person of his Son, and now he is here by the presence of his Holy Spirit. So Jesus said it, and the ascension lets us know it really happened. Okay, so that's the first thing. They, uh, they saw Jesus ascend. Second thing that happens to prepare the way for the Spirit is they're united in prayer. Now, we'll keep reading. Verse 12. They're united in prayer. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is where all the action happened. Uh, Jesus' uh, Last Supper happens around the Mount of Olives. And uh, Jesus is betrayed at the Mount of Olives. He's arrested at the Mount of Olives. That last night of wrestling and prayers, Mount of, Mount of Olives. So they go back to where all the action happened before Jesus died. And they go to the other wait and pray. A Sabbath day is walked from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Could have been the upper room. We don't know. But they go back to familiar place. Those present were, and then he listed off. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And then verse 14, this is key. They all join together constantly, together, constantly, together. What God is about to do is not going to be just an individual thing. It's not just me and Jesus doing the Jesus mission. From the beginning of the church, they are united together constantly in what? Prayer along with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his disciples. So they're united in prayer. What do you see as they're preparing? So we're preparing. We're asking God in this series. We're not just going to go through a book of the Bible because that's what we do. We are asking God over these next two years. Remember I said we're going to look at square one is this series. We're looking at the beginning of the church up to chapter seven. What happens in Jerusalem? We take a pause over the summer. We hit the fall. We look at the expansion of the gospel beyond the local ground, Jerusalem, our Jerusalem, into Judea and Samaria. As we investigate what the church is by looking at Acts, we're asking God for us. We're asking, what is it right now that we need to do to prepare ourselves for the Holy Spirit to do something in and through us that's beyond us? That's why we're asking this. But what do we see? We see that they're men and women together. Huge. Luke writes more about women than any other gospel writer. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that Luke highlights the role of women more than anyone else. Now, Luke is objective. He's a physician. He's searching the evidence. And what blows him away 
in the first century, women were belittled. That's just the way the culture was. We've changed a bit. We have lots of room. But in their culture, women were slightly above property. What Luke tells us is in the gospel, in the work of Jesus, men and women are side by side. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And Peter is there. And the other women. And Luke tells us that Jesus has a group of women who are caring for his needs and providing. Men and women are together. Everyone's needed. Ladies, we need you. We need you to rise up and do what God has called you to do. Men, we need you to rise up and what God's called you to do. This is not a male thing. It's not a female thing. Jesus' thing is an everyone thing. More than that, it's the young and old. Mary is, could be Peter, James, John, mom. Remember, Mary's the mother of Jesus, and Jesus has followers who are probably younger than him. Implication, we need every generation. To have a move of God, you need the Holy Spirit on those who have a little bit of experience, a little bit of movement in God, a little bit of history, a little bit of balance, a little bit of cash, a little bit of whatever. We need young and old together constantly in prayer. So we want to be a community that's marked not just by young people or not just by seasoned veterans in the faith. We want those who don't know Jesus, those who are discovering Jesus, those who are following Jesus, those who are leaders in Jesus all together. And so the third thing we see that there are leaders and followers. So he points out the apostles by name, and then he lists all these other people, some of the family members of Jesus. Uh, you're needed. That's the point. Together, constantly in prayer, everyone is in and everyone's needed. And so let me just apply as we go along. What does that mean for us? That means that your role in what's happening in prayer they're not in a business meeting. They're calling out on God. Your participation actually matters. Uh, we do a thing here called Seven. How many of you have been a part of Seven? Seven is a week in the fall, usually end of September, of prayer and fasting for a move of God in our city. We've done that for many years. And I've just been stirred, and other leaders around the city have been stirred to do it different this year. So I'm, I'm announcing. This year's Seven is going to be different. Rather than waiting till the fall and doing it seven days in a row, we're going to call you seven days out of the year. We're going to space it out. Seven days throughout the year, and you'll know in advance, we're going to call you for a day of fasting and prayer for a move of God. Practical. Why? If we wait till the fall, if you're gone on vacation or a business trip, you miss it. Another practical thing, lots of people can't get it done when school's launching out. New, but we, what we want to do is make prayer constant and together. And so we're going to, first one will probably be in February. Details on that. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook or anything. So we need to be together in prayer. But it's not just like seven days of the year. You're invited 52 times a year. Every Sunday is an invitation to come together and pray. We have a gathering in the other room at 5 o'clock. If you come to the 10 o'clock, it's at 9. An hour beforehand, 30 minutes to gather with other leaders and to pray. I was with a group of some of our people here. You don't have to be a leader. You don't even have to be following Jesus yet. If you want to see what God is about to do, come an hour early. Spend 30 minutes. And if you're not a prayer and you don't like to talk, or just come and sit and listen and ask God to begin to deal with your own heart. We pray that when you come, God would do something on your behalf. If God does anything in your life tonight, I'm going to give you a tip. Somebody prayed for you. Someone was here early so you're invited seven times to spend a day of fasting and prayer. You're invited 52 times. So there's daily prayer. You can pray every morning. 
There's driving prayer where we call out on God for the wrath of God to be revealed for slow drivers and people who cut you up. No. That's just, I know, right. So at least I'm not alone because I'm like, Lord, ah, I repent. Anyway, there's morning prayer. There's driving prayer. And then there's united. There's together. We need to pray alone, but we need to pray. There's power when we come in Jesus' name, that's what happens here. I kind of beat that to death, but it's important. Because sometimes we're waiting for God to do something, but let's follow in the footsteps of these disciples. They see Jesus in his rightful place. And if you do, if you see him as high and exalted, king of the universe, then get together and pray. But they're not just praying. Notice verse eight, uh, 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. This is interesting. 120 people together in the Mount of Olives, in a room, Waiting. Jesus said, wait, and he didn't tell him how long. How long is it going to take for us to see a move of God that really sweeps through and, and leads many people to life in Jesus? How long is this going to take? We have no idea. We're in the same spot that they, that they are. But they're together, not just praying, but Peter is reading the Bible. And when Peter is reading the Bible in prayer, he realizes David a thousand years before him, wrote these psalms. And somehow, by God's leading, Peter realizes, oh my, there's something we're supposed to do. Reads the Bible. Ever read the Bible and realize I'm supposed to do something? Like, oh wow, that was for me. There's something I need to do. Well, that's what happens here. Now, what does he do? Verse 17, he was one of our numbers shared in our ministry. And then there's a bracket, a parenthesis in verse 18. Luke jumps in. Because Luke's writing the Jesus story to people who don't know Jesus. So he's giving us a clue. Look, look at the clue. With the payment, this is about Judas. With the payment Judas received for his wickedness, he bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. How's that for like breakfast devotions? You know, like Cheerios and reading about this guy's intestinal spillage. Um, verse 19, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language a keldama, that is field of blood. So he gives a little insight into the Judas story. Point blank, don't cross Jesus, okay? <laughs> That's like a good tip. You could, anyway. Anyway, verse 24, said Peter. It's written in the book of Psalms, and then Luke tells us what Peter's thinking about. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. Speaking about Judas and the end of his life, and may another take his place of leadership. Now, if you read these Psalms in their story, you would wonder, where in the world does Peter get this? This is where God is at work. God is taking his words and he's applying it to their situation. So they're reading the Bible, verse 21. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who's been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of Jesus' resurrection. 
So they nominated two, two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who's also called Justice, and Matthias. And then they prayed. So they're praying before, they read the Bible, they realize two people fit the qualifications, then they pray again. Lord, you know everyone's heart, a.k.a. We don't know what to do. Show us which of these two you have chosen. So they're not looking to make a leader. They're seeing who is God's hand on to lead, to take over this apostolic, this sent ministry, which Judas left to go to the place that he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and so he was added to the 11 apostles. So from now on, when you read it, you're going to read not about the 11 apostles. Remember, Judas killed himself. But now, further on in the story, you're going to read about the 12. So what's going on? Somehow, we don't know. Luke doesn't give us all the details. There had to be that 12th person to be a witness to Jesus' resurrection. And clearly, you had to have some certain qualifications. You had to be there from Jesus' baptism. You had to see Jesus baptized. You had to be with him the whole time. You had to be a part of the ministry. You had to be one that Jesus sent out. You had to be there for the crucifixion and resurrection and see Jesus ascend. That narrowed down the crew. But even in the narrow crew, turns out two are most qualified. What do we do? So what are they doing? They are making decisions together. How do we prepare ourselves for the Spirit of God to come? We, they were together and they saw Jesus descend. They saw who Jesus is rightfully in his position of authority. All right, we see that. They're constantly in prayer together, seeking God. Okay, that, that could be a bit of our story. And then they're making decisions as a team together. So what do we see? There is a leader. Look back at verse 15. Peter is the leader. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. So Peter's one of them, but obviously God's given him some authority. But it's not just Peter. We get a list of all 12. Or all 11, and then we get Matthias, who's the 12. So, so what's happening is that God gives leadership, but the leadership is always team. And so we want to model that. So it's not Peter's church, not James's church. It's definitely not my church. It's not Justin's church. It's not Chuck's church. It's not Colossae church. It's not Sunset church. Jesus is the leader. He gives people authority, but they're in balance. And when you read this carefully, you realize it's us. It's we. They're making decisions together. So we try to model that out. We have a, a, a leadership in, in team on every level, team of elders, team of deacons, team of missional community leaders, team of volunteer teams. So it's not solo, it's everyone together. And there are problems. So there's people, leaders, and there's a group of leaders, and there's problems, there's challenges. And so where you have people, you have what? Issues. Because we all have them. And there's interpersonal issues and there's challenges on who's the right person and who's most qualified. And that's okay. So in this thing we call church, there will always be challenges to face, which is why we need to put ourselves in a position to hear from God. And that's exactly what they did. How did they hear from God? They read the scriptures. I want you to catch that. Your reading of the scriptures is huge if you started a reading plan in January and you're already flunked, you're looking on your app, you're like, I, okay, we're in the 20s and somehow I'm 20 days behind. How did that happen? Don't fret, okay? Don't get a guilt trip. But tomorrow, put your nose to the grind and open up the book. Read. Here's why. We underestimate the value of what we read today. Now, 
I don't know, I'm reading in, was Psalms part of the prayer life of Peter? In Jewish culture, they, they prayed the Psalms. Could it be that, that Peter, just praying through the Psalms, comes across this and the Spirit of God says, this is about Judas? Could it be? Jesus was with them 40 days teaching them the scriptures. Could it be that Jesus said, you must look at these Psalms. It must be fulfilled. We don't know. My point is, if we read today, you never know when you hit your problem tomorrow how God can use what you read today. Has that ever happened to you? You're like, I was reading, and a few days later, <gasps> suddenly, this text, which was written thousands of years ago to an ancient people, now applies to me, and how am I going to get through school? God can do that. He does that. So don't look for God to speak from on high. He has already spoken. He speaks through Peter, through the scriptures. But notice they're reading the scriptures together. Read your Bible. But what we do is we put together a reading plan, a little study guide. I hope you have it. I hope you have not used it as a starter for your fireplace. Like, you know, which it does work. It's paper. It will, it will burn. I don't recommend it. Have Consider this, go through the Acts study, get a few people, and be, because, because we're going to learn from one another. You may have insight that I need. So they read the scriptures together, and then they apply it to the problem. Now, the one interesting thing is if you look at the end, so they, they get a leader, they figure it out. Look at the last verse, though. This is intriguing. Verse 26. It says, then, after praying, after praying some more, after finding out two people, then they cast lots. And a lot fell on Matthias. Now, we want to follow the scriptures. We want to be a people who do what the Bible says. So they cast lots. Now, what is a lot? Okay, write this down, people, because this could be confusing. A lot is more than a little. Oh, that was bad. That's so, I got booed by Tony. Tony V just booed me. Anyway, I was, I was waiting all week for that cheesy one-liner, and it almost worked. Anyway... What, what is a lot? A lot uh, is not them going to Spirit Mountain and saying Lucky Sevens. It is not gambling. It was a part of finding out and confirming what God was already saying. So we see in Proverbs, Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lot, but it's, it's every decision is from the Lord. In the Old Testament law, there was a provision a lot was they would take a pieces of pottery, right? Say a blue piece and a, a white piece, a broken thing. And they would throw it in a container and say, Lord, I've prayed, I've thought, we've tried to figure this out. We don't know what to do. We trust God that you're Lord. And so we are going to look to you. We cannot decide between the blue and the white. And we, we, as it's cast, we know, God, that you will show us what to do. And so they cast the lot and the lot fell on Matthias. Both were qualified. But it seems like this was a way in their understanding of the scriptures. So the question really is, should we be casting lots, right? It's a good thing to think about. The Bible says it. They did it. But for most of us, it sounds like, ooh, that sounds kind of sketchy or like weird. What do we do? Now, this is a great teaching point before we apply this and live it out. Because we're not just going to talk about Acts. We're going to do Acts we're going to participate in what the Spirit wants to do. But before we do that, here's a little bit of a tip on reading the Bible. Acts gives us narrative, story. Truthful story, but story. And history 
can be descriptive or prescriptive. So Acts is both descriptive and it is prescriptive. What does that mean? Acts, what we see in Acts tells us what happened. Luke does the homework. He finds out the story. He finds out from Peter what happened on the day. And Peter and the crew tell him the story and he writes it down. But Acts also functions in a prescriptive way. That is, you go to the doctor, you're feeling sick. The doctor gives you what? A prescription. He says, because of your ailment, you take this, this, and this. He prescribes a remedy. So Acts functions in the same way. It tells us what happened sometimes. It just tells us the facts. Just read it, know it. Other times, it's telling us what to do. So let me give you an example. They were constantly together in prayer. Constantly together in prayer. How often is prayer described in Acts? More than 30 times Luke tells us that the church prayed. It's in 20 of the 28 chapters in Acts. There's something about being together praying that is prescriptive. It shows up again and again and again and again and again. And it tells us what they prayed and God moved. They prayed and God moved. They prayed and God led. They prayed. So there's a prescription. If we are together praying, God will do stuff. Acts is prescriptive. But Acts is also descriptive. So here's why we study the Bible together. There are parts of Acts that if you read it as a description, it will take you one way. As a prescription, it will take you another way. And let's use this as an example. Should we cast the lots? Should we put the names of key leaders in a container and say, God, we don't know. Here you go. Now, I think the scripture shows us that it's descriptive. Casting of lots was not wrong. I don't think they're wrong. And Luke is not implying that they were wrong. But he's not prescribing it for you and me. Here's why. A couple of reasons. Number one is the context. Look at what happens. Where do we see casting of lots? What chapter? Chapter what? One. Right. Just read the rest of Acts. Do you ever see them casting lots again? No. Never again. When did it happen? Before the Holy Spirit came on them or after? Before. So if you read it, they're waiting and they do the Bible and they do life the way that they knew how. When the Holy Spirit comes, what you're going to see is the church is still hitting bigger challenges, bigger struggles, bigger issues, and they pray and they never go to lots again. So I think that as we study together, we'll realize Sometimes it describes, sometimes it prescribes. Prayer, prescriptive. Do it and you'll live. Lots, it happened and God used it. So they had the right choice. And so that's where we see Acts is descriptive and prescriptive. All right, and that's enough of the, the, the text itself. But where does this hit us? There are challenges in every church at all times because we are people and we're needy. And so I don't know what struggle you're going through right now or are about to walk into and not even aware of, but I do know that there is prescriptive help. God has provided something in the text here for all of us. Um, you never know when a challenge is going to pop up. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when that challenge hits you? Or you're walking in it right now. Uh, Brandon, he plays keys. He's one of our deacons, one of our leaders, one of our worship leaders. 
And this week we had our leaders meeting once a month. Our elders, our deacons, and our missional community leaders get together, pray, talk, share what God's doing, learn from one another, plan out the year. And we were getting together this last Tuesday in the room right over here. And we get together first and we split up in teams. And the deacons went off and they were talking about service stuff and the elders were making some decisions. And a knock is on the door and, and I thought it was Kenny who was coming from the other meeting to join us. And it turned out to be Brandon. So we knock on the door, come on in. And in walks Brandon. He's like, hey guys. And he's like, I need you to pray for me. I'm like, oh, okay, great. And, and Brandon just starts to share what had been happening. Uh, their daughter, Mia, who's seven, she has been really sick for the last couple of weeks, really sick. They took some tests. And Tuesday, before our meeting, he found out that the potential of leukemia. Now, can you just imagine? He just came from work to this leaders' meeting, this just burning in his soul. So what does he do? He doesn't go home and stick it out and just like, this is our problem, our issue. He calls on his brothers and sisters. And he knocks on the door and he comes in. And obviously, if you're not a mom or a dad, you, you just don't get it yet. I don't mind getting that from me. I can't imagine hearing that from my kids. It's just it's something no parent ever wants to hear. So we're like, well, give us a little bit more info. And, and they said they, they don't know, but they're waiting for another test. But it could be leukemia. If it's not leukemia, it's, it could be something else, which is very, very dangerous. And it's just gnarly. Like, you don't want either. What do we do? So we ax one. We, we get Brandon in the chair and we start praying. He starts crying. And man, we all start crying. And we're calling on God to do something because this is a challenge. And the early church, they're facing a challenge of what to do with leaders. We're facing a challenge because our brother now just hearing that his daughter could have a very serious uh, issue. And, and what do we, so we pray. And then he goes off. We finish it. And man, I went home. I was just rocked. I'm like, I went home, no lie, went up, and my daughter was sleeping. I just kissed her on the cheek. I'm like, wow, I didn't hear that news. Thank you, Lord. And then, and then I talked to my wife. I'm like, you're not going to believe it, Brendan and Janelle. And I have permission to tell the story, but, you know, like Mia and man, so we're just all broken. And then I, I wake up, and I'm thinking about it, and I pray. And, and then I got the elders texting me, have you heard any news? Because we're concerned. We're not friends that meet on a Sunday night. You got to hear that. We're not just buddies who do church. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. And so it was just tough. It was just tough. I got a text in the middle of the day from Brandon, and I spread it out to the crew that from what they think, it's not leukemia, but they're waiting on further testing for this other issue. And so she's not out of the woods, and she's still suffering. But we're, we're praying that God would come and, and do a miracle in that little precious girl's soul. I share that because that is real, and that's like Acts 1. And so we're in this scenario too. A couple of things that we need to really think about this year as we study together and as we grow as a community. The first is this, let's pray together. Like really. Don't just pray alone. I, I, I do, I pray, I get up, I, I brew a cup of coffee, I open my Bible, I pray, I set the day right. But that's not enough. I need you. I need, I need to pray with my brothers and sisters. I am fueled by praying with one another. So find your way to do that. Let's pray together. But let's not just pray together. Let's do life together. The reason that Brandon can call on us, the reason that Brandon 
could come to us is because we have relationship. I've known Brandon for eight years. We're friends. We know about each other's families. Had dinner over at my place. We hang out. We don't just do Sunday. We have relationships. So for you, this may be a challenge. You may be new to the city. It may be hard for you. You may be struggling. Commit to find a few people. It doesn't have to be huge. Find a few people that you're going to do life with. Why? There's going to be a moment where they need you. And there's going to be another moment where you need them. And friends, in the moment of crisis, it's hard when you do not already have relationship. Choose to do life with other followers of Jesus. If you can find that here at sunset, that's ideal because you worship together and you serve together and you pray together and you do life. But God's community is broad. There are people from other churches. That's great. Uh, but do life together. Let's, let's read and obey the scriptures together. That's what you see them doing. They're reading the Bible and applying the Bible to, to real life. So when we pray, we're looking to scripture. We're not just like praying and making up stuff. We're committing to let the scriptures define us, letting the scriptures inform us. We're letting God's words reorient the way that we think, we feel, and we act. And that happens over time. Commit, my friends, not just to read the scriptures, but to find some people outside of this. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic and saying that God can't work here. What I'm saying is this is a platform to set a foundation, to stir you. But how are you going to really live it out? You can't do this in a group of 50, 100, 200, 300, 500 people. You can't do it. You just can't. Hear me, you can't. So what you need are three or four or ten or one. And to hear stuff and then interact with it. And chew on it and talk about it. And then live it out and hold each other to it. Hey man, you said you were going to do this. Did you do it? Why not? Hey brother, I'm going to take you out. If you don't do what God's telling you to do, I'm not going to let you get away with it. We need, we need that kind of loving in your face friendship. And I pray that you find that here. And finally, let's wait together. Let's wait. Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem until you get the promise. So God has a promise for them, like God has a promise for us, and they're called to wait. Now, Jesus did not say when. This is so amazing. Remember last week, where is God leading you, right? As you pursue that, know this, Jesus will not tell you when. He's going to hold you and see if you trust him. So they wait for one day. They wait for two days. They wait for three days. They pray for five days. They do seven days. Seven is the perfect number. Jesus, come. Nothing. Eight days. Nine days. Ten days. The Spirit came, Acts 2, Ten days after they begin praying. Some of us think like, man, God's never going to do anything. God takes forever. Well, sometimes his timing is slow to us. But for them, ten days later, the Spirit came. The promise was fulfilled. Now, what does that speak to our situation? How long is it going to take for Brandon and Janelle to get their answer concerning Mia? Well, I don't know. But they don't have to wait alone. We wait together. We check in on each other. We love each other. We pray. We pray again. We pray some more. We seek good counsel. We go to the scriptures. We do all this together because if the answer will come, and I don't know the timing, so for you, it may not be 10 days. It may be 10 weeks. It could be 10 months. It could be 10 years before you get your answer. But know this. God keeps his promises, and he's faithful, and he will be faithful to you. So tonight, where are you? Let's pray together. 
Man, let's do life. Let's study the scriptures. Let's obey. Let's wait. Let's be in this together.